Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the World Football Summit podcast. I'm your host, Jaime, CMO at World Football Summit. This year at WFS Europe, we are launching a new track focused specifically on understanding all the elements that maximize player performance. After all, at its core, the entire industry depends on healthy players being able to play at their highest level, right? Luckily, over recent years, we have gone from focusing only on the physical component to do so on realms like mental awareness, nutrition, and sleep, which is precisely the topic of today's conversation. It is simply amazing to see how much sleep influences not only athletic performance, but overall well-being in all of us. And today, we are lucky to welcome one of the biggest experts on the science of sleep, Dr. Mita Singh, performance sleep medicine consultant, founder, and CEO at Performance Delta LLC. Dr. Singh is a board-certified physician and psychiatrist concentrated in the applied science of sleep. She has a remarkable body of work across the entire sports industry, as she has been involved with organizations from the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the US Olympic team, and of course, football teams in Europe and Asia. This is a truly fascinating conversation where we talk all things sleep. We go from some generic aspects like circadian rhythms, the latest research around the science of sleep, and some of the factors that influence getting a better sleep, including nutrition, light, or napping. And of course, how all of this is then applied to the realm of player performance. So this is a conversation for all of you in the sports industry looking to enhance athletic performance. Whether you're a coach, performance director, executives looking to acquire and retain the best talent, or just even looking to make the best decisions for the sports business. Personally, I was honored to have this conversation with Dr. Singh because this is a topic that truly intrigues me and I hope that you learned as much as I did. Not only for a professional setting, but also for your own personal life. The best thing is that Dr. Singh is a confirmed speaker for WFest Europe in Sevilla on September 28th and 29th. So you can expect to hear more insights from her on the live stage. If you haven't done so already, head over to our website and buy your ticket right now so you can join us either in person or virtually. Finally, feel free to leave your feedback or your comments on social media about this conversation. We really want to understand if you get value out of it. You know where to reach us, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook, wherever you want. Nothing else from my side. Thank you very much for joining. And with that, let's welcome Dr. Mita Singh. So, Dr. Singh, welcome. Thank, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, you know, we, you know, uh, had the opportunity to speak, and we're really looking forward to welcoming you to World Football Summit. Um, I did want to ask, uh, you know, before we go into the de into details, and um, you know, obviously, you're going to teach our audience a lot about the importance of sleep. Um, mm -hmm. I guess not only in the realm of player performance, which is what we want to discuss here today, but I'm sure that people here are going to learn a lot for their own personal lives. So yeah. looking forward to that. Um, but again, before going into the questions, I did want to ask if you can give us, you know, and give the audience um, a, a brief history of, of your background and, and you know, um, what, what your career has been uh, up to date. So my name is Dr. Mita Singh, and I'm a sleep physician. So I'm a board certified psychiatrist and a sleep medicine doctor. And I have experience and expertise working with athletes. So in the last many years, I've worked with um, professional 
um, sports leagues here in the United States. So I've worked with the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, as well as well as the Major League Baseball. I worked with um, the uh, U.S. Olympic teams as well as in college sports. And I've done some work for football in Europe as well as Asia too. Oh, great. Well, I think we're going to get a lot of this conversation. Um, when, you know, the opportunity came up to, to speak with you, Dr. Singh, I was thinking, um, luckily, over recent years, there's been a lot more visibility around um, how far the realm of recovery uh, has, has, you know, it has evolved, really. Um, so it's really gotten to the point where actually it's more about the, if you're training for one or two hours, it's really more about what happens after those one or two hours, you know, so the rest of the day in terms of nutrition, meditation. Um, is that only, is that, am I getting that correctly? Is, is that a perception that you've seen or is, uh, have, how have you seen it evolve? Yes, I think that there really has been a revolution in the field of performance about what's important and what are the factors that can lead to optimizing performance. And I know that you mentioned it's all the things that we do after the play, but I would I would say that it's actually everything that, that you do leading up to the time when you're actually performing. So if you're going to be on the field, and, uh, you know, playing football for two hours, it's the 22 hours, what you did those 22 hours before. And sleep is an integral part of it. And uh, we're now we're now learning more and more. So, so the evidence, there is enough research that shows that sleep affects every aspect of performance and wellness. And even the way that athletes are mentally prepared to show up when they're playing. And, um, you know, now it's just a matter of applying what we know so that we can actually um, have players perform at their level best. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is kind of like, you know, so I'm going to mix in a little bit of a personal question because I, I just recently had a baby, you know, and one of the things that the doctor tells us is how, how important it is to get the baby used to circadian rhythms. And why I'm asking this is um, this is a topic that I'm no expert on the top on the matter whatsoever. No? And, but that's of vital importance. No? So um, how does looking into the realm of sport, how does that circadian rhythm influence? Is that something because you've worked with, you know, a lot of teams from different sports. Is that something that teams are starting to consider? Yes. So, so let me start out with some background information for your audience. So circadian rhythms are these intrinsic, they're biological rhythms that we have, uh, which, you know, so every, every function in your body has a rhythm and it's approximately 24 hours. And so for human beings, your main circadian clock is located in your brain and it's typically synchronized to wherever you locally are, right? So if you're in Madrid, um, your, your circadian clock is synchronized to the local Madrid time. And so if you took an airplane and you flew to, you know, the, on the, to the East Coast in the U.S., your circadian rhythms would now be out of sync okay. because of the new time zone. And they would cause all sorts of problems like you would have, you'd be sleepy, um, you may not be able to sleep at the local time, you'd be fatigued, you may be eating meals at the wrong time. So you're just not going to be your optimal self, right? So with that background, of course, now 
in in sports, especially if you're an elite athlete, you compete, and the competition is now worldwide. There is no, there's not a single, you know, people are not playing in their local areas. And the way that athletes work is that they get on a plane, they go to a new time zone, they get jet lagged, but then they have to also still have to show up. Now, there's actually a lot of research that shows that your circadian rhythms can have a profound effect on how you perform. And teams that are really, really thinking about making sure that every aspect of performance is, uh, is optimized, um, they would be thinking about jet lag. So the World Cup is coming up, right? And it's yeah. in Qatar. Yeah. And these teams are going from all over the world. And so um, one of the things that I, I and my company do is that we, we come in, we educate the players, and then we give you know, both information on a team-wide um, uh, level as well as an individualized level so that these athletes, uh, when they show up to the new time zone, not only are they well-rested, but also they're performing well. So mm-hmm. they don't, you, you want to try and minimize the jet lag, but you also want to optimize the performance. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like giving them the competitive edge. And, and at, at their level, anything yeah. counts, no? So, I mean, at the end of the day, every detail counts. Um But I'm also thinking, I mean, because obviously when you look at, for example, when you go to the United States, mm-hmm. there are obviously different time zones and I can see the effect down there. No, um, But I'm also thinking, at least in Europe, when you play in the domestic leagues, at least, it's unusual to find teams traveling between different time zones. So, for example, if I'm in Madrid and I go to play to Barcelona, right. I'm going to be in the same time zone. But what could happen is there's a lot of late games here. Mm-hmm. in Europe, especially in Spain, mm-hmm. you have your 10 o'clock games, especially in, in you know, in countries where there's a lot of, you know, hot weather uh, mm-hmm. in the summer, they're putting, you know, um, games at 10 o'clock at night or even 11, I've seen it, no? What happens to those people that, you know, put it in an informal language, are more of a morning person, you know, what, mm-hmm. how, how, how do they prepare for that? Can you change your circadian rhythm and then also... Um, how do you cool down afterwards? Because obviously the, the, the body kind of is, is, is active. No? So you, you want to go to sleep, but you're active. So how do you cool down afterwards? So, Jamie, I have to tell you that there are three or four questions in that one question. So okay. I'm going to make sure that I answer every question that you yeah. ask. Apologies, yeah. So you're, no, 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 please don't apologize. So, so you're absolutely right. Your circadian rhythms, you know, it's not jet lag is just one aspect in which the circadian rhythms have an effect on performance and, you know, overall health. But one of the things that your circadian clock also decides is your chronotype, which is, you know, in this, in, a, in simple words, it's this genetic preference that people have to either be a morning person, so a morning lark or a night owl. And you're right, most games, especially if they are, especially if the games are the top of the top, Typically, and you want people want to see them on television, the best time for them to see it is if they occur at night. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so competitions, top level competitions happen at night. And which that, what that means is that if you're a morning person, you might be at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And it, yes, there is absolute science backed strategies which you can use to shift your circadian clock. So it can align with the actual performance time, and that will help give you a competitive edge. 
and and then the you know the the reverse is also true. So if you especially if you're you know if you have in many in in many sports you can have you know um, trial matches or uh-huh. and those matches may be at different times during the day and then eventually if you make it to the top level of the competition you have night tag competition and there is a way to strategically prepare for that so that you can not only make sure you get enough sleep at night but also align your circadian clock so you can maximize on that performance. Okay. So that's number one. The second question you asked is that w- these are such late night games and how do how do athletes um, sort of cool down? And and again, it's a it's a it's a great observation. So all the things that the athletes do while they're on the field, right, when is in which you know they're they're hyper alert, they're hyper focused, their body temperature is high, um, they're able, um, they're you know adrenaline as well as testosterone, you know, everything is high and they want to have a little bit of aggression. They want to make sure they're, they're very fast. All those things that actually make you a very good player on the field are also the reasons that will make it more difficult for you to wind down and fall asleep at night. Well, and so, so that's the other thing, that's the other place where um, where I have expertise in and where I work with individual athletes, et cetera, to help them develop these um, the, and practice these winding down schedules that actually help them um, fall asleep at night and, and stay asleep and, and also develop a realistic expectation of you know, what sleep is going to look like after such a significant um, such a significant uh, high tension, high um, high uh, uh, energy sort of um, competition. Okay. Well, super interesting. And this is actually a perfect segue into um, the next part of the conversation where I want to ask about some factors that influence sleep, no? Mm-hmm. You, were, you were mentioning jet lag. And the, every, a few years ago, I read on one of Tim Ferriss' books that um, one of the one of the secrets behind overcoming jet lag is that when you get to a different time zone, you actually go into the gym as much as you might dread it. Go into the gym and do like a you know fifteen minutes of very light cardio, even, and that's going to help solve. So, I kind of read that and I said, "Is that really true?" So, I really did want to ask you if that's true or not. Um, well, so, so. I think, again, going back to the basic science and understanding that is going to help us develop strategies of how to, how to deal with jet lag. So that circadian clock that is in your brain, it's most significantly influenced by light exposure, okay. by exercise, as well as food timing, mm-hmm. as, as well as the, you know, uh, you know, the amount of sleep you're getting, et cetera. Or how you're getting your sleep. So, so we know that, for example, if you were going to travel west and you were going to come to, if you were going to fly to the United States, you would want to be exposed to bright light in the evening because that would help you go to bed later. It would also, you would want to exercise closer at night because that would also help shift your clock, and 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 you'd want to shift your meal timings because that's going to help with with the jet lag and vice versa. So the short answer is that that a, 
when you're when you're helping people with jet lag, it's a combination of light exposure or avoidance. It's um, exercise, timely exercise, as well as avoiding exercise mm-hmm. and meals and what you're eating. And it's all about timing. And the timing has to be is dependent on the person's individual circadian clock, as well as the direction of travel. Uh-huh. And so, you know, so in a, a short answer is yes, exercise would help, but um, but it has to be done taking into consideration all these other factors because that's what makes it it actually happen. So exercise at the wrong time would actually make it worse. Okay. So there is the, uh, that can also happen. But yes. You know, you want exercise, um, light exercise, and what you're eating is really, really essential, but it all depends on timing. This is fantastic because uh, I, I had written down, I wanted to ask about a lot of those factors that you you just mentioned, so this is going to be great. Uh, but first, though, um, I know that usually the recommendation um, that you hear uh, is that people need to get six, eight hours of sleep, ideally. It'd be more depends on the person, I would assume. Um, but it is true that, you know, things happen in life. You know? So I'm talking about a personal perspective now. I, I just had a baby. I wish I could get that, you know, that, that those hours in. Um, so is quality of sleep, can it be, can it overcome quantity of sleep? Okay, so, so. Again, let me start off by saying, so the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, the recommendation is that an average adult needs between seven to nine hours of sleep. Okay. Functional. Well. Okay. Thanks for that. And I think if, you, if you're getting less than six hours, you're likely to have detrimental effects from lack of sleep. And the worst thing about that is that you yourself are not going to be aware of those detriments. So objectively, you will have detriment. So you become slower, you become inaccurate, you may have, you know, issues with mental health, etc. But your ability to tell whether you're impaired, you know, goes goes down. So it's like it's like drinking alcohol. You know, when you drink alcohol, you yourself are not a good judge of how impaired you are. So mm-hmm. that's number one. The second thing is that when you think about sleep, you want to think about sleep in three large categories. And we talked about one of them. So you want to think about the quantity of sleep. You know, on an average, you want to get seven to nine hours of sleep. Number two is the quality of sleep, which is that when you're in bed, you want to make sure that you spend most of the time sleeping. So you get good quality of sleep and, and you get a good amount of the different stages of sleep. And then the third thing is the timing of sleep. Again, we talked a little bit about it when we talked about the circadian rhythms, right? If you're a night owl, you'd be best if you slept in accordance to your circadian clock, mm-hmm. right? And if you're a morning person, it's, it would be best if you aligned um, your sleep according to that. And then also you wanted to be regular with your sleep. You didn't want to, you don't want to, you know, sleep like teenagers do in which, you know, during school days, they go to bed from say midnight and they have to wake up at six and then on the weekend they go to bed at three in the morning and sleep until about noon or one o'clock that mm-hmm. is that irregularity is really bad so so the simple uh, the simple answer is the most you know quality of sleep is really good but if you were regularly getting five hours of sleep so if you were regularly depriving yourself from getting enough sleep the quality the quality doesn't really matter 
right? So it's it's like calories. So you need a certain amount of calories to sustain life. Mm-hmm. If on a regular base, basis you were on starvation diet, but you know if you were taking only 500 calories per day and you you were eating the best quality food, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. You, you really would need to make sure you get enough calories in to sustain life. Okay. I guess I'm thinking you were mentioning some of the conditions for sleep, no? And and I guess one of the, even though he's not a football player per se, mm-hmm. um, you look at an athlete like LeBron James and you see mm-hmm. the longevity of his career and how he's been able to be at the peak for his entire career. Um, I once heard an interview where he was mentioning some of those conditions. Uh, so he gets eight, eight of eight or nine hours of sleep. He has the room completely dark. Um, the room temperature, um, he turns off electronics. So are there, other than these, any particular guidelines that you recommend all the athletes that you work with or the teams that you work with that they should follow to get a good night's sleep? Yes. So, uh, so first of all, you know, what you just described is just things that normally everybody, including athletes, should do. You know, you want to be, you want your bedroom to be cold, dark, and quiet. You want it to be electronic-free, not just because of the light that comes from it, but the electronics are interactive, mm-hmm. right? And so if you, once you get on social media, it's sort of difficult to disengage from it mm-hmm. and make time for sleep. It's also, you know, there, the electronic, you know, social media and working and playing on, like, on electronics People say that it's relaxing and it's actually more distracting than relaxing. Mm-hmm. So it's a distraction. It prevents you from thinking about that day, but doesn't really relax you to prepare you for sleep that mm-hmm. And so I, I would say, I would say, apart from those normal things, some of the things that you can do is even the three main things. Number one is reduction of light exposure at night. Mm-hmm. You know, not having, say, for example, the television on not being on, elect- and on electronics, et cetera, that will help. Number two is reducing the amount of caffeine you drink. Mm-hmm. So, and that's really, really relevant to players because if you're going to be competing, if your kickoff is at 8 o'clock at night, most of them will drink a couple of energy drinks because they want that energy, which means that half of that, um, the, uh, the caffeine is still in their system when they're trying to fall asleep, and that may make it difficult. Uh, you know, you want to reduce the amount of alcohol because alcohol – um, will prevent, will disrupt your sleep later at mm-hmm. night. Um, you want to develop a good winding down schedule, yeah. something that's quiet and relaxing, electronic free. Uh, if people have spiritual practices, that's a good time to do it. You know, meditation, etc. All of that. You want to create the right circumstances so that sleep can happen. Mm-hmm. You can't really command sleep to happen, right? You can't force yourself to fall asleep. But if you give it the right circumstances, you're likely to fall asleep. Uh, it's actually great because that was actually one of, going to be one of my questions in terms of caffeine um, and, you know, um, routines. To, and also the uh, big myth there is the alcohol consumption. Um, yeah. I know here in Spain, I know there's a lot of tradition to actually have your, you know, your red wine before going to bed. In terms of caffeine, I've read it's tw- 10 to 12 hours before yes. actually going to bed. So that's a lot. Let's talk, uh, take a minute to just talk about caffeine because it, I think people are really, especially athletes, are really interested in it. Yep. Especially because so there's, there's actually research that athletes don't even realize how much caffeine there is in different things. You know, mm-hmm. they don't look at it, they think of this something as an energy drink or they think of something 
as um, um, uh, um, a workout drink that they want to drink before the game. Mm-hmm. Or they may be drinking something in the middle of the game, and then they may think of it as a post-workout drink, not realizing that it yeah. has to be in it. And what caffeine does is it goes and it attaches to that part of the brain that is responsible for sleepiness, so it blocks the effect of sleepiness. Okay. Half-life is about five to six hours, which means that if you drink a cup of coffee at seven o'clock at night um, or caffeine in any form, you know, half of it is still in your system five or five or six hours later. And then, you know, a quarter of it is still in your system again sometime later. And then, of course, it's kind of complicated because some people are fast metabolizers, which means that they rapidly remove the caffeine from their systems. Others are slow. Mm-hmm. So again, it's an individualized uh, approach, and you have to kind of figure out which, what, you know, how it fits into whether it allows you to to, uh, to fall asleep or not. Because you want to be when you're on this on the field, you want to have maximum energy. But then mm-hmm. when you get back to your home or your hotel room, you want to make sure you fall asleep too. And yeah, th- thanks for that, because I think that's actually one of the things that people, especially athletes, are not aware. And you're yeah. totally right. Um, you know, they, they start to think these drinks or these whatever they're having is just right. a post-workout, you know. What other, um, I guess, routines or, or, or tricks you, you would recommend? No, For example, I, I recently heard one that could be very well applied to athletes is uh, stretching before bed. So I don't know... Well, I don't know if uh, there's other routines or if that's a good uh, routine to, to adopt because I assume not only from a physical perspective, stretching also kind of helps you mentally kind of, you know, start to cool down, no? Right. Right. I mean, I think I would say, um, you know, the reason why you need a good mental uh, a, a winding down schedule is because people are on the go a lot. And I always give this uh, this. Uh, analogy that if there's a plane flying and it wants to land, it doesn't just, you know, flop from the ground. It does all these maneuvers and then slowly lands. And so think about winding down as the same sort of maneuvers that you do that, again, allow sleep to happen. And, you know, maybe a hot bath, uh, stretching exercising uh, exercises. Sometimes people do progressive muscle relaxation. Um, you can read a book. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can do meditation, sometimes yoga you know, is, is a good idea. Um, another way to think about it, Jamie, it would be to say, um, think about all the things that actually stimulate you and prevent doing that. Okay. Right? So, so if you're going to be going to, if your bedtime is, let's say 11 PM, 10 o'clock at night is not a good time to have to do a boxing workout. Okay. It's not going to allow you to, uh, to relax and go to sleep. So yeah, that's, that's, um, you know, th- those are the things that you would work for you. And you also mentioned nutrition before, yes. and I wanted to go back because I think that's also a big one, uh, especially for athletes, because they're always obviously looking right. to take care of their nutrition. Um, is it true that it's best to eat dinner around three to five hours before going to sleep? Or is there any time frame they should consider? Well, so, you know, generally the recommendation is that you don't eat within three to four hours of going to bed. But you have to, again, this, you have to really... You know, working with athletes, has, you have to kind of tailor that because, you know, suppose they come off the game, they want to eat a large meal, and then they, perhaps they need an, an, a couple of snacks because sometimes athletes, they use up so much, so many calories, and you don't want hunger to wake them up yeah. once they go to bed, right? 
to perhaps some sort of snack, which is light, um, you know, nuts or uh, definitely not a chocolate bar because that contains mm-hmm. caffeine and other things. So yes, so they're, they're, again, this is, these are, they're different recommendations. You want to have typically for sleep, they say you want to eat something that is, has complex carbs that might help you fall asleep at night. Okay. So, yeah. So, so again, it, I, I, it would be very individualized. Okay. I understand. And well, being from Spain, I have to ask you about napping. Because yes. it's a big, it's a big topic, at least here, and I would assume in the general sports world. No, and right. there's a famous footballer, Gerard Piqué, and he was interviewed once before the uh, World Cup final in 2010. So this was kind of like the biggest game of his career, and he said that he had a wonderful nap. But I'm thinking, does napping then affect sleep at night? Well, so um, we can we can definitely talk about that. Uh, I would say the way I would think about napping is, you know, let me let me give your your audience a, a story. So in the ni- in the 1970s and 80s, when astronauts from NASA would go into space, you know, they have, would have really irregular schedules. Plus, you know, they're 16 um, uh, sunrises and sunsets in a 24-hour period, and so they'd be tired, and they asked sleep uh, scientists what they should do, and they said, well, the best thing you can do is take a nap. Mm-hmm. Because when you don't get enough sleep at night, one way to take a bite out of your sleep drive and to increase energy is by napping. Mm-hmm. And that is a it's a really good strategy for almost all athletes. Okay. The key to napping is the timing, so how long the nap is, when the nap is, and and um how close it is to the actual game time. Okay. So I would say, you know, so there are three kind of naps. There's a power nap, which is 15 to 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, a 30-minute nap will have a little bit deeper sleep, but is still light sleep. Mm-hmm. And then there's a there's an entire sleep cycle, which is approximately 90 minutes or so, which is what NBA players here or NHL players do, in which they take a l- nice large nap in the uh, in the mid afternoon before their actual game time. So there's there's the length of the nap. Then you don't want to nap. You want to wake up within, you know, the best time to nap, of course, is in the mid-afternoon when mm-hmm. you are anyways tired. And the third thing is you don't want to nap within two hours of the actual game time because you don't want to be groggy for the actual competition. Okay. And you're right. In some people, when they have issues with sleeping at night, the recommendation is not take a nap. Okay. And so that, again, you know, like I said, you know, because sleep science is it's, it, it's an actual field of science. Sometimes when people read off the internet that you know this kind of nap is good, etc., you can that's all very you know that's good. You know, perhaps good information, but again, unless it's individualized, uh, it really does. You can't really apply it yourself. And and the and the players or the athletes or the teams that I work with, you know, when they're at that elite level, everything is individual. Right. Their workout is individualized. Their nutrition is individualized. Okay. Their sleep is individualized as well as the game plan. Okay. Well, okay. Thanks for that. Um, I think before moving on to the next section of the conversation, I think obviously we're talking in a you know relaxed environment here, but the truth is that these athletes, they deal with a lot of pressure, which would I would assume that's also a factor that, you know, you can have a lot of routines, but at the, at the end of the day, if you're under that, let's say, pressure to perform, to win, you know, to always be at your best, I would assume that impacts the quality of sleep. So how, how does 
an athlete, let's say, fight against that? Well, so you're absolutely right. So athletes, just by their by their personalities, because sometimes they're, you know, they're type A, they're slightly anxious, they're very focused, that makes it more difficult for them to relax. Number two is that they're, they have a lot of pressures on them. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, it's not just an internal pressure to perform. Their coaches, their audience, their fans, um, their agents, mm-hmm. their family members, they have all these pressures on of performance, and that might make it more difficult for them to help to relax. And, and um, so the fact that athletes are set up for poor sleep is really, really well known. So this is well-researched. There's data out there that says that, you know, different sports, especially, um, you know, some of the sports are, are worse than others. But in addition to that, um, so with my training, so I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist and a sleep medicine specialist. And one of our, the focus of our company is that when we, when you, when I work with an athlete or when we work with, with teams, our focus is mental strength as well as taking care of their sleep because they really go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. One cannot exist without the other. So if you've ever had a poor night of sleep because you've had issues with, you know, some sort of stress, you know, stress can really affect sleep. And then, of course, it's a, it's a bi-directional effect. So if you have poor sleep, then that makes it more difficult for you to cope with the stresses of the next day. And it makes it more difficult to cope with, especially the high pressure in the elite sport world and that is so it's a vicious cycle and oftentimes the best way to address it is by addressing the sleep part and mm-hmm. the mental health part. This is actually I think a great way to enter the next section because I want the audience to really get a lot out of your experience so far both in terms of you know the span of your career and also because you've worked with you know top tier or sport brands around the world no um, so I want to ask is there any best-in-class examples that you can think of of either teams or players um, who are working best around the concept of sleep to optimize for their performance? Oh yes, right. So in in the you know in almost every major league, if you look at, I have to tell you that if you look at top performance performers, they will tell you that optimizing sleep is their superpower. I mean, okay. you took LeBron James, um, you know, Tom Brady says that. Mm-hmm. You saying Bolt says that I know uh, Rafael Nadal okay. um, said that. And, I mean, I'm I, I'm not not going to be able to name all the names, but when you you know, I, I can tell you from my work, I I worked with the Major League Baseball team, the Washington Nationals. Okay. Um, and when during that year, when when I was working with them, and their whole, you know, I worked at their as their sleep consultant and. We wanted to optimize sleep, especially because of the travel, and they won the World Series. And that was the first time in the history that they actually won the World Series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes. So I, w- I would tell you that it's 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 um you know the research clearly shows that poor sleep because of either irregular schedules or mental pressures is a is a part of the athletes. It's, it's something that happens to most athletes, happens to most teams. So optimizing that is what m- makes things much better. 
that optimizes performance. So I would I would say that if you looked at top performance in the world in the field of sports, I would think that optimizing sleep would be part of what they do. Which goes back to what we were mentioning at the beginning of the conversation. Oh, and I guess I want to ask, are there any, let's say, best practices or recommendations that you give based on those examples? Not Maybe not the ones you just mentioned, but pretty much out of your experience. Mm-hmm. Any quick guidelines that you would give, you know, to your audience? Well, I think, I think I'd like to take a minute to explain uh, what the scientific community has uh, come up with of how to approach sleep for an athlete. And it really is a, it's a, it's a, it's a well-researched way of doing so in which, you know, it starts always with education and talking to the athlete as well as the entire team because oftentimes this is not even on their radar, mm-hmm. right? So you want to do that and then you want to do some assessments and and use, again, clinically validated tools that are developed to identify issues in athletes and then apply programs in which, um, you know, the athletes, not only are you taking care of the sleep need and help with the schedules for the team-wide level, but also for individual athletes. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that if somebody individually has a problem, you definitely want to address that. Okay. And then this has to be done on a regular basis. You know, if it's a six-month season, you want to start out and in the pre, in the the during the training camp or the the preseason, but then you want to address it on a regular basis so that nobody falls through the cracks, especially if you're, especially for winning teams, because as the season progresses, the competition becomes more and more significant, and you want to go to the postseason where you can, you know, enter and and be, um, uh, get to the to you know the ultimate level. And I would say sleep is your, sleep is like gives that that competitive competitive edge. And you were mentioning that, and I agree. I think uh, this is something that's changing pretty much with new research, no? Yeah. Uh, yes, right so yeah. I guess I want to ask, well, first question, How can are there any resources that you recommend the audience to go check out so they can be up to date? So, um, so uh, you know, for, for people who are interested in learning about sleep, I mean, I this is something that I do. You can. I have a website. It's metasamd.com. We regularly post on the social media. Um, in addition to that, uh, the there is the the National Sleep Foundation, which is uh, which is a um, it's based out of the out of the U.S. and there is some information that is present there. So I am on all social media as metasamd. Mm-hmm. That you know that would be a source of information. I have, I have a plenty of um, interviews and talks on YouTube for people to yep. to be able to um, get access to that information. And um, I think it's important to understand that it's not just the athletes; it's also the coaches who are, you know, also are. Uh, have a stake in the winning and if, and optimizing their sleep because it because in you know making sure that you get enough sleep influences decision making the ability to you know to um, to come up with novel plays etc so to think of outside the box all of that is something that happens with good sleep 
Okay, we'll definitely uh, send the audience over to check all the resources that you have, and and you know um, it is totally true that all those uh, interviews that you've done in the past they're very valuable. I highly recommend the audience to listen to them. I, I've listened to them in you know just to prepare for this conversation, so that's a big recommendation there. Um, I guess also, is there any um, on the on the other, let's say, going to the other side of the coin, no? Are there any bad recommendations that you feel? Any, yeah, recommendations that you hear that are out there that are not true, you know, okay, I mean, or so that they're a, not, I don't know if there's anything there. Maybe there is. But. So for people who have, Jamie, for people who have sleep issues, and I would say a lot of athletes do, the general recommendation that you find on the on Google, which is like, you know, cold, dark room, quiet, you know, don't play electronics, those are not enough. Okay. So, and, I, and so these recommendations, which are, they're in the sleep science field, they're called good sleep hygiene. So these are all the things that you can do to make your sleep, um, you know, area comfortable, etc. Typically, if you were doing a clinical study in which you were testing or you were looking at if a sleep intervention is effective, you would use these sleep hygiene as placebo. Okay. Because, you know, they're essential for good sleep, but they're not interventions. Okay. So I would tell you that if, you're, if people are actually having a sleep issue, then what you need to do is, is you want to go to somebody and you want to make sure that you understand the, um, the qualifications of the expertise that you see. Makes sense. Otherwise, you're going to, you know, so, so sleep... And there is a role for sleep coaching, for sure. I mean, there there are sleep coaches who can sort of, if, uh, if they're working under uh, and if they've been certified in sleep, might be able to help you with some, um, you know, seek, getting some answers. But they would not be able to help elite athletes or elite teams if they had genuine questions, because that would require expertise and, and a background um, knowledge about that, that subject matter. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, well. Thank you for that because I mean uh, that that's very valuable. I think for anybody listening, I did want to ask you: is is there any groundbreaking research that you you're looking into that's caught your attention as of late? Well, I, I, I'll tell you what I think. Uh, the the science about circadian rhythms, mm -hmm. which are these biological rhythms that everybody has, is the is is going to transform healthcare and the way that people take care of themselves in the future. And it's actually, it's already here, right? So what, um, everything is going to be individualized. Mm -hmm. And performance and the health of elite athletes is going to fall under that purview. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's, that's my, that I think is the big frontier in, in um, sports performance and athlete health. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Dr. Singh, this, this has been a great conversation. I just have two more questions. I want to thank you for your time uh, before, before asking those two questions. And I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to say. If not, we can just move on to these final two questions. I think, I think we can ask for two uh, questions okay. and then we can circle back if Kent has any. Sure. Um, I just want to ask you first, um, looking over to World Football Summit and, and again, um, we're really excited to have you because I think all your expertise is going to be very valuable 
as I said, we are launching this new track on player performance and, and, you know, we really, really appreciate you being there. So on, from your point of view, what is the value that you believe that in-person events like World Football Summit bring to the table? Well, I think, I think the, I think the importance of the, of an in-person event in this case is the fact that you're bringing all these important stakeholders who have one goal, and that goal is they want to improve football because they love the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you bring a lot of people to the table and they all have one goal, then that's where innovative ideas happen. Right? You come to know about new things. Your, you know, your goal is you, you, you come to know new things and you getting improving the game happens at different levels based on the different fields that these different um, the different uh, participants come from. I couldn't agree more. At the end of the day, you learn new things, you meet new people, yeah. you meet new businesses, new technologies. I mean, I think you accelerate all of that, no? Yeah. Final question. I don't want to take uh, more of your time, Dr. Singh. Um, what are your expectations for World Football Summit? So, I, I will say that my expectation is number one is to have the important stakeholders in the world of football to start thinking about sleep and recovery mm-hmm. and to prioritize it. I think that's number one. Number two is that I, you know, you guys have um, a football. It's it's an international sport. People travel. the 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 stakes are really high, especially at the top level. I would like um, to work with the top level people because I, I believe I'm the best in the business. Nice. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we like to have our expectations high and we really hope, you know, we can deliver against those expectations. Um, Dr. Singh, again, this has been great. Um, I'm sure the audience is going to get a lot out of this and they're going to be willing to learn much more from you during the event. Um, we can't wait to see you there. Um, and thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Jay. I'm looking forward to the actual event. Thank you. And there you have her, Dr. Mita Singh. Just in case you didn't catch it at the beginning of the episode, she's a performance sleep medicine consultant, founder, and CEO at Performance Delta LLC. I believe that her work speaks for herself, and as well as the amount of information and advice she shared with us today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and learned more about how crucial sleep is, not only to compete better, yeah, but overall to live better. And if you're in a role related to optimizing player performance, then you can do your job even better from now on. Once again, feel free to reach out across social media and let us know your feedback. Nothing else from my side. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of World Football Summit podcast and, of course, in the upcoming WFS Europe in Sevilla on September 28th and 29th. Until next time, have a great rest of your day.